Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon. Let's read together from our Bibles and invite you to get your Bibles out either from your own Bible or the one below the seats. And let's read together from Matthew's Gospel, Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. As Jesus and the disciples approached Jerusalem and came to Bethphage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you, and at once you will find a donkey tied there with her coat by her untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, say that the Lord needs them and he will send them right away. This took place to fulfill what was spoken through the prophet. Say to daughter Zion, say your king comes to you gentle and riding on a donkey and on a colt, the foal of a donkey. The disciples went and did as Jesus had instructed them. They brought the donkey and the colt and placed their cloaks on them for Jesus to sit on. A very large crowd spread their cloaks on the road, while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus, the prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Jesus entered the temple courts and drove out all who were buying and selling there. He overturned the tables of the money changers and the benches of those selling doves. It is written, he said to them, My house will be called a house of prayer, but you are making it a den of robbers. The blind and the lame came to him at the temple, and he healed them. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did, and the children shouting in the temple courts, Hosanna to the son of David, they were indignant. Do you hear what these children are saying? They asked him. Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read from the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise? And he left them. And went out of the city to Bethany, where he spent the night. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. That sense of expectation, that sense of looking forward to something special happening. I've used this illustration before because it probably will stick in my mind for the rest of my days way back in 2014 when the, the beacon, the, the, not, it's not actually a flame, but the beacon for the Commonwealth Games was going to be brought up the main street here in Uddingston. 
and of course different people go run or walk really with the beacon, they don't really run with it, they walk with it, and they, there's a big entourage gathered round about them, including the police and everything else, and many of you will remember as a church we hosted tea and coffee here um, outside in the grounds of the church, and we had a large um, Scottish saltire flag hanging from the front of, of the, the, the railings there, and a lot of people took advantage of the, of the, the frontage of the church being so high to be able to look down on the main street. And the street was packed. Remember that? Those of you here, the plate was packed. There must have been thousands, actually. Most of the community and others came. And right down, right, as far as you could, right down to the railway station, right beyond that, there were crowds of people. And of course, whenever there's crowds of people, there's chatter and noise. And you could hear that going on and a sense of expectation that this little community, in a sense, should be blessed by having, you know, the, the Commonwealth Games baton brought up the street. And then to outriders, I think that's what you call them, police on their men and their bikes, motorbikes, not their cycle bikes, uh, came up the main street. And as they came up, things quietened down. And there was quite a silence for quite a period. And you can sense one or two folk were beginning to think, was this a false start, you know, or whatever, you know. But slowly but surely, you then began to hear, a bit like the, 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 a wind coming or the wave coming from the sea, and a coming up the main street, probably channeled by the buildings on both sides of the main street, an increasing sound of a cheer as the baton runner and their entourage and the minibus that followed behind them with various assorted folks began to come up the street. And it was only relatively for a relatively short period of time because they moved on because I think they went to, even to Bothell. And then they, then they get into the minibus and went somewhere else and then went over to Canvas Lang and, and went somewhere else. But for that relatively small period of time, the sense of expectation was in the air. It wasn't only the sound of cheering, but just that sense of excitement. And probably in many ways influenced even somebody like me who wouldn't know one end of a badminton racket from another to, to go and watch some of the sports at the Commonwealth Games. If that was a sign of how important it was, should have even, even somebody like me should go and find out. And over these past weeks, over the last few months, because this year Easter's very late, so we've really been journeying really since January, since Christmas, we've been asking the question, the question that was asked on that first Palm Sunday, who is this Jesus. And we've been seeking to answer that question by looking at various encounters that Jesus had during his public ministry. Indeed, one of the, the earliest encounters, apart from, of course, Mary, his own mother, and Joseph and the wise men and the shepherds, was Simeon and Anna in the temple when he was brought in for dedication right at the beginning of his ministry. Interesting, Luke wants to emphasize in his gospel that Jesus, in a sense, began his public life in Jerusalem, and he ended, in some ways, his public life in Jerusalem, in that holy city. He was brought into the temple as a baby to be dedicated, and he journeyed in Jerusalem as an adult to his death and to the glory of his resurrection. In Jerusalem, the city of peace, Zion built upon a hill to be a beacon, a light, not just to the nation of Israel, but to the nations round about. That was God's purpose for that city. How sad it is that today that land and that city is a place of war and strife and not of peace, but animosity. When Jesus was brought in as a child, he rode in 
But who is this Jesus? And in the answer given in Matthew's gospel, Matthew particularly is writing his gospel for Jewish readers, for people who are aware of the Old Testament and all the prophecies and everything else concerning the coming of the Messiah, including, of course, the, one of the greatest prophets, if not the greatest prophet and prophecy from Isaiah 53. So Matthew is wanting to help his hearers to answer that question. Not that he was Jesus from Nazareth, the prophet sent by God. He was from Nazareth, and he was a prophet. But far more than any prophet that had ever gone before, far more than the prophet Isaiah on the mountain transfiguration, that encounter we touched upon last week, who is this Jesus? He stands there, and the glory of who this Jesus is revealed no longer on the dirty, soiled rags of his robe, with the sweaty face and the dirty hands, but the Lord of glory and brilliance and purity, and on one side Moses, the lawgiver, and the other side Elijah, the prophet of God, both of whom pointed to the one who would come. Who is this Jesus? Matthew says he's the Messiah. He's the promised one of God. He is the consolation of the, of the nations. He's the one that Simeon said he, Simeon could now die in peace for his eyes had seen the light of the glory of God revealed. But as the crowd welcomed him in, waving not their flags and the bunting of that Cromwell game Sunday afternoon, but the palm branches and throwing their cloaks on the ground, all signs that spoke of their belief that this man who was coming was going to change fundamentally the role and the state of Jerusalem and indeed of Israel. This one who would come and perhaps teach the Romans a lesson they would never forget. This one who would come and bring to completion the building of the temple that Herod the Great had started, this one who would come and rule and reign on David's throne as a king of Israel. Who is this Jesus? He's far more than they'd ever bargained for or even really imagined. And during the events of that holy week, in a sense, the, the layers of misunderstanding are their preconceived notions of who Jesus was, this warrior king, riding not on a donkey but in a white charger, a military figure, a, a figure that was going to politically change the role and state of Israel. Their understanding of who that Jesus was was peeled away until we see the man of sorrows the suffering servant, the lamb led to the slaughter, all that Isaiah and the prophets had indeed spoken of. And that became very obvious when he went into the temple. And notice how he talks about the temple, my father's house. 
and the temple was built. Yes, as I said, the re restored and rebuilt and redeveloped by Herod the Great. And indeed, as, as I was reminded and told this morning, uh, a restoration and rebuilding work that lasted for 60-odd years. It was only completed a few years before, of course, it was completely destroyed by the Romans in AD 70. It was really built by Herod the Great, yes, for religious purposes, but also to try and establish this imposter, half-Jew king, puppet king of the Romans, trying to establish his reputation, his right to be regarded as the king of Israel. And so he had invested huge sums of money taken from the taxes of the poor to build this massive, impressive building. And in that temple, as envisaged by God, as given in his word to David and then to Solomon, in that temple there was to be a courtyard for the Gentiles where people who were non-Jewish were able to come. And indeed, even by, by the time of Jesus, there were still those Gentiles, those God-fearing Gentiles who were in Jerusalem for the Passover meal, who believed that there was one God, not the polyglot gods of the Roman Empire, but had that stirring to believe there was one God, a God of a creator God, who somehow and in some way would make it possible even for the Gentiles to know Him and to walk with Him that was always the promise given to Abraham and to the Israeli people, that through them the knowledge of God would cover the air, like the waters covering the sea, that they would be that light to the nations. And the Gentiles would come, not just to Jerusalem, a geographical place, not just to the temple, a building, but would come to the God that Israel worshipped, the Jewish people worshipped, and would find that He was not only their God, but our God. And Jesus goes into that temple and into that courtyard. And what does he find? He finds money changers. You see, within the temple grounds, the temple courtyard, there was a, there was a different form of currency. Not a very favorable exchange rate. Because, you see, in order to worship God under the Jewish system, you had to have various things that you could offer up to God as a sacrifice um, not, not just the, the lamb for the Passover or the scapegoat, but the pigeons and the turtle doves and everything else. And if you were going to be right with God, you had to buy those sacrifices, those animals who would then be slaughtered on your behalf, and the shedding of their blood would appease God's judgment on your sins and the things that you had done wrong. But the problem was it was very expensive, even worse than shopping in Waitrose or Sainsbury's. And for those who were in the know, for those who were in with the religious establishment, they could walk past the queues, you know, and the exchange stalls and just walk right in. But for ordinary folk and for the Gentiles, particularly for the Gentiles, they would have to pay a hefty who is this Jesus, the prophet who comes from Nazareth? Here's the Jesus who's filled with rage when he sees the temple, his father's house, turned into a profit-making business, a place where the poor and the outsider, as I say, that included the Gentiles, the non-Jews, where they are treated as, as a way of advancing other people's wealth and prestige and power, instead of welcoming in the nations, instead of seeing the temple as a house of prayer 
for the nations. All these barriers made by men prevent them from knowing and meeting with the God, the God not only of Israel, the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. And so Jesus, filled with rage, and you, you could cope, you got hit back on, throws the tables over. chases out those who have turned religion, those who have turned faith into a money-making exercise. Who is this Jesus? This is the Jesus who comes so that we don't have to buy our way to God. This is Jesus who comes, who turns upside down the religious establishment. This is the Jesus who's not impressed by impressive facades, however impressive or not impressive our facades may be, either of our buildings or of our lives. This is the Jesus who comes to offer grace, great riches at His expense. This is the Jesus who sees through all the pomp and circumstance that so often we hide behind. This is the Jesus who has compassion for the poor and for the outcast and for the Gentile. This is the Jesus who hates religion and who loves the sinner. My song is love unknown. Let's stand. We're going to sing through using this hymn as a help to our meditations this morning. We'll stand to sing through the first three verses of this hymn together. My song is love unknown. My Savior's love to me, love to the lovely shown, that they might lovely Who is this Jesus? Well, Matthew tells us he's the one that the blind and the lame come to. We read in verse 14, to the temple, and he heals them. The blind and the lame come to him, and he heals them. Now, we could read that little verse and almost Well, after all, wasn't that the business of Jesus? Jesus, who is this Jesus? Well, the one who heals. But there's more to it than just that. Later on, literally in a couple of chapters later on, listen to what this Jesus says. Wait to get my specs and I'll be able to read it better to you. In Matthew 23, if you turn on in your Bibles, look at what Jesus says about the religious leaders. That's better. Verse 16 of chapter 23, listen to what Jesus says. Woe to you, blind guides, you say, if anyone swears by the temple, it means nothing. But if anyone swears by the gold of the temple, is bound by that oath, you blind fools, which is greater, the gold or the temple that makes the gold sacred. 
Verse 19, you blind men, which is greater, the gift or the altar that makes the gift sacred. Verse 23, woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you have neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter without neglecting the former. You blind guides, you strain out a gnat, but swallow a camel. Woe to you, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you hypocrites. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside they are full of greed and self-indulgence. Blind Pharisee, first clean the inside of the cup and dish, and then the outside will also be clean. Jesus certainly hadn't been in a course as how to win friends and influence people. You see, this Jesus, who is this Jesus? He doesn't say really what he thinks or what he perhaps has heard that people want to hear. He speaks, the gospel writers tell us, he speaks as one with authority, unlike the teachers of the law. He speaks as it really is. Why? Because he's God's Word made flesh dwelling among us, full of grace and truth. Who is this Jesus? He brings the clarity and the sharpness and the forcefulness of God's Word to bear. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who hates religion. Who is this Jesus? He has no time for those who wear religion as a cloak to cover their own sinful, pride-filled, selfish, idolatrous hearts. The priests and the leaders of Israel who prop up a system for their own end. Who is this Jesus? He sees through their hypocrisy. You blind Pharisees. But who is this Jesus? He's also the one who comes. Isaiah 42, here is my servant whom I uphold, my chosen one in whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him. And notice what he's going to do. He will bring justice to the nations. He will not shout or cry out or raise his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. In faithfulness he will bring forth justice. He will not falter or be discouraged till he establishes justice on earth. In his teaching the islands will put their hope. This is what God the Lord says, the creator of the heavens, who stretches them out, who spreads out the earth with all that springs from it, who gives breath to his people and life to those who walk on it. I, the Lord, have called you in righteousness. I will take hold of your hand. I will keep you and will make you to be a covenant for the people and a light for the nations, to open eyes that are blind, to free captives from prison, and to release from the dungeon those who sit in darkness. Who is this Jesus? then the eyes of the blind will be opened and the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then will the lame leap like a deer and the mute tongue shout for joy. Who is this Jesus? This Jesus who will gather my people from the prophet Isaiah from the ends of the earth and among them will be the blind and the lame, expectant mothers and women in labor. And a great throng will return. They will come with weeping. They will pray as I bring them back. I will lead them beside streams of water. 
on a level path where they will not stumble, because I am Israel's father, and Ephraim is my firstborn. Who is this Jesus? I will gather the lame. I will assemble the exiles. I will make the lame my remnant, those driven away into a strong nation. And who is this Jesus? Well, Luke tells us at the beginning of his gospel, as Jesus stands in that synagogue and reads out from the prophet Isaiah, these words fulfilling what the prophet had given years before. Isaiah, Luke chapter 4, where he unrolls the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and reads, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And then he rolls up the scroll, Luke tells us, gave it back to the attendant, sat down, the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him, and he began by saying to them this, today these scriptures are fulfilled in your hearing. Who is this Jesus? He is the one who makes the blind see. He is the one who makes the lame walk. And yes, he did that physically, spiritually. And those, some within the life of the wider church, would rightly want to affirm God's healing power to give sight to the blind and the lame to walk. But can I say this morning, far, far more important than that, the, prophet, the prophets and Matthew are wanting to tell us that this is the Jesus who opens our eyes spiritually to what God and life is all about, or opens our eyes to the God who's created the heavens and established everything that is. The one who spoke and brought everything into being is the God who took through flesh and lived among us. Who is this Jesus? He is the one that's standing in our midst this morning. And God, by His Spirit, opens our blind eyes so that we might see Jesus in all His glory and mercy, in all His compassion and love, in all His power to set the captive free, to give sight to the blind, and to cause the lame walk. This is this Jesus. And our life so often crippled, bowed down by our own failings, and yes, by the failings of others, by our sins. That's what sin is, our falling short of God's perfect standard revealed in Jesus Christ. But so often, my friends, are falling short of our own understanding of what is right and what is wrong. And this Jesus comes. And instead of having to lean on the stick of our own pathetic attempts to earn God's favor, causes us to stand on the rock of ages in the strength of the Lord. Instead of groping 
trying to understand what life is all about in the midst of the often very depressing news that we hear from our society and the very troubling situations in our own family, He is the one who opens our eyes to see not only the glory of God, but how we are made in His image and wants to restore that image within each and every one of us. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. Such is the power of the good news of God. Let's sing together once more the next couple of verses of that hymn. Tomorrow morning here in the church, we're going to be having Easter Code, that event for Primary 7. Young people from Your Edge Primary, where they have the opportunity through various stations that are established here in the church and also in the hall. Don't you have to use the hall, don't you? And, and, and they journey around these various well, in many ways, they're prayer stations. They're not, the children don't pray, but that's what they're there to do, to help them to journey. And the vast majority of these young people, these children, don't have any living connection with the church or indeed with faith. You find that apart from those, because I have to do the, the Passover uh, meal and, and, and recreate that what took place on the night when Jesus was betrayed. And you very quickly pick up that a lot of them, most of them, don't really have any background to what the story of Jesus is all about. But as somebody who could sometimes be a wee bit detached from these things, Karen and all the rest of the folk are caught up in actual, you know, the, the running of it. It's amazing because as they journey around, yes, there are ones that are not interested, the ones that are there because they're there. Although I have to say we've never had any problem and the school's very good and everything else. But you see, you see eyes being opened. I don't mean again literally their eyes. You see a growth an understanding as to what is at the heart of Christianity. Especially when, especially as young people, even their own parents so often will, will disparage the idea of God or anything like that. You'll see them journey. As I saw with that young man last week as he sat here and as his feet washed in that bowl and growth and some understanding of what's at the heart of the gospel. A 17-year-old with his, his feet weren't manky, they were actually very clean getting them washed, and the silence descending over the fifth and sixth years when I broke bread and showed them the cup. He makes the blind see. He makes those who are bowed down with the peer pressure and the attitudes and the lies of our contemporary world. He lifts them up because he delights in the praises of children. Notice what happens as we come to the end of the story. The blind come and the lame come to him and they're healed. But when the chief priests and the teachers of the law saw the wonderful things he did and the children shouting in the temple courts, they too joined in and said, Hosanna to the son of David and were filled with praise. Is that what the Bible says? Is that what the Bible says? You'd think, seeing the blind see and the lame walk and the children 
enthused by God, you'd think as religious leaders, even if you went into kids, you'd think that their hearts would be stirred, wouldn't you? That would be a sign, of course, that they were open to the things God was doing. But no, they're filled with indignant rage. Do you hear what these children are saying, they asked him? Yes, replied Jesus. Have you never read? And that, of course, would be sticking nothing worse than saying to a minister of the kirk, have you never read that in the Bible? You don't like that. I don't like that either. I've got to be honest. But, so don't, don't say it to me either. <laughs> no, I learned long ago just to sit and say, oh, right, that's right, yes. Where's that again, you know? <laughs> but, but at least you sit and nod your head and think, where is that again? Jesus says, have you never read? From the lips of children and infants, you, Lord, have called forth your praise. You delight, the older versions put it, in the praise of infants and children. That follows, and who's this Jesus? He said, let the children come to me, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. And you know, that's not primarily meant to be an argument for infant baptism. I have to say that anyway, because many of my congregation don't actually believe in infant baptism. I know that. But that's not primarily an argument for infant baptism. What that is saying is that we are to come like children to God. Sometimes the Lord has to bring us down onto our knees and break us and make us like children who have nothing to hang on to, who have no claim or pretense, no pomp or circumstance, but like little children come to Him. Jesus set us that example as He knelt. And wash. I should really have set out, by the way, a wee quiz, and you could have worked out how many parts of the Easter story are represented here. I tell you, they're all covered. <laughs> As they knelt and he washed the disciples' feet. That's why Peter, remember last Sunday, Peter got so enraged. You can't wash my feet. Oh, I'm a man. And Jesus said, if you don't let me wash your feet, you've got no part of me. Well, Lord, just take the bucket and pour it over me. Children, with their openness, with their enthusiasm, you can hear that, can't you? Through the, through the door with their eagerness to learn. Bless the wee girl, I don't even know, bless her who she is. <laughs> she was sitting here, one of the friends that are with us, your, your wee granddaughter. And I was telling the story about how we can be fickle and how we change. And we say, Hosanna, one minute, and the next minute we say, crucify. And the wee soul, she went, hmm. <laughs> Would that we were all like that? when in our fickle heart we sing the praises of God. And then we sing a song of praise to ourselves the next day. The children don't praise me, Jesus says. Even the stones, the cobblestones in the street will break forth into thanksgiving to God. Who is this Jesus? He's a father who wants to invite his children to come to him, just as we are. Naked, come to thee for dress. Who is this Jesus? Psychologists tell us that there's a child in all of us always there. God's made us for that so that we might seek and know the Father's love and His welcome 
and embrace into his family. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who received the praises of people and all the brightness and expectation of Palm Sunday. He's the one who knelt at the feet of his disciples and washed the feet of his betrayer and of his friend who had let him down. Who is this Jesus? He's the one that took bread and wine of that Passover meal. And when he broke it, he spoke of his own body that was going to be torn apart. And of his blood, which was going to be poured out for many. Who is this Jesus? He wore a crown of thorns. I wore that on my head, on my reasonably still quite thick hair for my age at the Croft Bank the other week. It was sore. He had it rammed down on his head. Who is this Jesus? He's the one who was nailed to that cross hung and suffered there. And who is this Jesus? He's the risen, conquering Son. Death defeated. Our forgiveness from a holy God secure our hope in life eternal one. Is that your Jesus this morning? Let's pray together. Let's sing together. The question that the Lord Jesus asked Peter and his disciples who do people say that I am? Lord Jesus, you have been asking us all this morning that question. Who is this Jesus to you? A religious teacher? A guru? A great philosopher? Tremendous example? A wise teacher? Or is he the Savior? The Messiah? the anointed one of God. We would come like children. There's no pretense. We would come just as we are, without any plea of our own righteousness or goodness or effort to earn your favor. We would come to have our eyes opened so that we might truly see who you are, O oh God, our creator, our sustainer, and our redeemer. 
we would come and we would lay aside those things that would make us lame, those burdens we bear, those habits that damage, those attitudes that destroy, those relationships that are dangerous. And we would ask, Lord Jesus, that you would open our eyes and that you would lift us up. And so in the quietness, just for a moment, we come before the Jesus who knows our very names, who knows the journey of our life, who knows those things that we would boast and make much of, and also those things we're deeply ashamed about and would die if anyone ever knew. And we come before this Jesus, the Prince of Peace, the Man of Sorrows, the Lord of Glory. Lord Jesus Christ, hear us as we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Park Church Podcast. I hope you enjoy the sermon.